in the format of gnomes. And hopefully you start picking up on these things. Like as he's raking or and, and he drops it into the trash can, you go like, oh, like I see what they did there, right? And then he comes out and he goes, three days in that thing. And you're starting to pick up on this story, right? So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn to the book of Jonah. We're going to dive back in. Actually, if you have them with you, let me see them. Let me see them up in the uh, year. Let me see them. Let me see them. Let me see them. Heck yeah. Okay. Turn to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, Jonah chapter 2. We're going to dive into this story. But before we do so, I meant to show you guys this yesterday, but since, since my wife Paige and my daughter Piper can't be with me in the flesh, um, this, is, this is my family right here. That's Paige, and then that's my little girl Piper. And can you show me the other photo? This was us recently. Uh, guys, come on, right? Like, this little girl is just, she's just the stinking best. Like, we... We love her so much, and I wish I wish she was up here. Last weekend, we were at uh, up at Hume, up in the mountain, and and Homegirl had her first like genuine bloody nose. It was like one of those moments where we were like playing and hanging out, and she took a big old digger like straight into some ice, and I picked her up, and it was just like blood, like just pouring down. And like as as a dad, like that's like the worst moment ever, right? <laughs> like when you see your little girl in pain, you just go like. Oh, like everything in me just breaks. Like I, I hate seeing her hurt. Like the first time she got uh, like shots at one month old, a doctor almost lost his life that day. Um, I'm, I'm sitting in the doctor's office and like, you know, there's like the, the cry, cry of a baby. And then there's like a pain cry. It was, that was like the first time I'd ever heard her like in pain and she gets the shots. And I look at the doctor, like you're going to die. Like <laughs> this is the moment that I kill you because you just hurt my little girl and it's, it's just this, it's been fascinating to watch my own heart change and mold and shift as I understand what it looks like to love someone that like really at the end of the day hasn't really done anything for me, right? Like when I, when I held her for the very first time, it was like this bizarre moment where I started to understand like, whoa, like I'm broken, sinful. I'm going to let her down a million times. And yet there's nothing that could ever change my love for this little girl. There's nothing she could ever do. There's nothing she could ever say. There's no amount of like walking away or like there's nothing she could do to either make me love her more or make me love her any less. And that's in my own brokenness, right? Like the, the love that I have for her pales in the comparison to the love that this God has for you and that this God has for me. And as I've gotten to understand what it looks like to start to understand parenting and family, friends, it, it has radically shifted and changed my perspective of the God of this Bible. Like we talked about this last night, that this book, Genesis to Revelation, you can take that down or else they're never going to listen to me. They're just going to stare at her the whole time. Okay? Uh, this book, Genesis to Revelation, is, it's the single greatest story ever told. And we, we looked at this last night that from cover to cover, this is not just a story about what happened, it's a story about what happens. And that we can understand that this isn't just a book about what we have to do to get to God, it's a story about what God has done to get to us. And last night we looked at this concept of sin, of brokenness, of wickedness in the world. And we see it in the very first two verses of Jonah chapter 1 that their wickedness has, has become uh, prevalent. And, and God says their wickedness has risen up against me. And we define sin as any thought, word, action, or attitude that goes against God's design for us in life. Remember the, the trucks, the 57 trucks and my two nephews? And yet if we're being honest, we go like, that's, 
us a lot of the times. And we struggle and we wrestle with this concept of, man, I, I sometimes feel like Christianity and the Bible and church and my youth pastor and my leaders, like I, I feel like it's all just a bunch of rules. And sometimes if I'm being honest, I, I feel like Christianity is kind of this boring, rule-heavy life that, yeah, I get heaven at the end, but like the question still stands, like, is it worth it? A couple years back, uh, we took a missions trip down to the Dominican Republic with my church, and um, I'm, I'm a youth pastor. I work with high school students at my church, and so we're down there, and we got a crew with us, and for some reason, like, I have this weird affinity for hotels. Like, I, anybody else, anybody else, like, love staying in hotels? Like, I know there's people that, like, prefer their own bed and their own room and their own space, but, like, Growing up as a missionary kid, we bounced around a lot. We were back in the U.S. like almost every other summer, kind of visiting on tour with our supporting churches. Shout out Church of the Woods, what's up? Um, and we would like, we would travel all over and stay in all these hotels. And me being the youngest of four siblings, like we would just kind of come up with like games to play. And we'd like sit in the hallway with a Frisbee. And if it like touched the wall, you were out. And like just like random stuff like that, that we just, we came up with entertaining things to entertain ourselves. Because there's no such thing as boredom there's only boring people right like there's if you're if you're somebody that's like oh i'm bored all the time like the problem is not life it's you okay like come up like there's you're figure it out like i promise you you can always find something to do like i will i'll just come just ask me about like the random games that we played in these hotels and you'll realize like wow you can do a lot with like a piece of paper and a cup and waffle mix that you stole from that morning right like it's i don't know like you just always come up with something but i i love hotels like i i love everything about it i love the the fresh like towels and sheets and then you come back to your room even though you left it a disaster and it's like clean again and you're like the magic fairies it happened again and I just, I grew up loving hotels. And so we're in the Dominican Republic and it kind of blew my mind that the hotel spiel, like wherever you are in the world, is, it's kind of the same, right? Like you go to the front desk and you're checking in and they give you your room key and they're kind of telling you about the continental breakfast in the morning and the waffle maker that you can, you know, you like twist it and go and you're like, oh, wow, like even in the DR, like same, same, but different. And you, you, you start to realize that I'm checking in with all my students, everything, we're divvying out keys and the guy at the front desk goes like, hey, just a heads up, um, this Dominican Republic is, it was a war-torn country, and so there's a big field behind the hotel, uh, and just be careful because there's, there's still some active landmines from when the war was, was here. And he's like, anyways, enjoy your stay. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, as a youth pastor, um, there's a couple calls you don't want to make back home, right? Like, you don't want to be like, Mrs. Wilson, um, Remember Timmy? Well, of course you do. It's your son. Uh, remember how he used to have two legs? <laughs> like, he doesn't need both of those, right? Like, like that's not a call you want to make as a youth pastor. Like, you, you don't want to be like, well, we were playing Ultimate Frisbee, and then there was this landmine. Like, that's not a thing. And so, like, I almost had to clarify. I'm like, hey, like, I caught the bit about the towels and the continental breakfast, but I'm sorry, did you just say landmines? And they're like, mm-hmm, enjoy your stay. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> like, that shouldn't be a thing, right? Like, that... It shouldn't be like, enjoy your stay, watch out for the landmines. Like, that's not a thing when it comes to hotels. And, and I, was, I was thinking about it, and I'm like, man, how, how simple would it have been with our technology in today's modern age to go out into that field with some sort of, like, I don't know, landmine detector, metal detector, like, whatever you want to do. Like, you know those guys on the beach that are always walking with, like, the headphones on and, like, the metal detectors? I'm like, can I just borrow that for a second? Like, imagine how simple it would be to just go out into the field, 
and go, beep, beep, landmine, cone, 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 certain death, right? Like, beep, beep, landmine, cone, 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 certain death, beep, beep, right? You get the picture. Like how it couldn't have been that hard to sweep that sucker, and then you could step back and look and go like, okay, cool. Over here, ultimate frisbee. Over there, certain death. Like, do you see the cones? Avoid them at all costs. Otherwise, right, like anybody with, with like a brain is going to go like field closed. Like you, we don't go there. Or you have to know where the traps are. You have to know where the death is. And then you go like, okay, cool. This is freedom, right? Freedom is knowing where the traps are. Freedom is not the ability to go wherever you want, whenever you want, however you want. Right? Freedom in that scenario without the cones equals certain death, right? Like we can kind of agree on that. But if you know where the traps are, if you know where the certain death is, you start to go like, ah, what if freedom was actually knowing what was best for me? And what's best for me is to avoid these spots. See, the beauty of a story like Jonah and the beauty of the story of scripture is that we can start to understand and picture that this God, what if his heart was actually for you? What if his heart was actually for me? That in scripture, whenever he gives us a command, whenever he gives us a, a, a statute, a law, a way of doing life, right? And you, you think about sin, right? Sin is any thought, word, action, or attitude that goes against God's design. Like, if you're not careful, we start thinking like, well, God kind of seems like this dictator that goes like, make sure your thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes are exactly what I say whenever I say them. And you're like, geez, this Christianity thing's, it seems kind of oppressive. Like, I just want to be free, and I just want to love people. It, it's a, that's such a common understanding in our culture. I, well, we just need to love everybody, and I just want to be free. Well, what if freedom wasn't defined by you and me? What if it was defined by the God of the universe in Scripture? I mean, we saw this last night in, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah and he said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up against me. That we understand that God is a God that pursues. Right? That he pursued Jonah. He pursues the Ninevites through Jonah. And the problem is, is that when Jonah heard that he was supposed to go to Nineveh, he went the opposite direction. Right? If, if your like, Nineveh uh, geography is off, Right? When it says that he ran away and he headed for Tarshish, like if your Tarshish Nineveh geography is like a little bit shaky like mine is, it's, it would be as if God asked you to go to San Francisco and he was like, hey, I want you to go up to San Francisco and I want you to tell the people of San Francisco the good news of who I am and what I'm like. And then you went like, got it. And you went to Tijuana, right? Like this is what happens in this story. So, so right off the bat, when we understand sin, when we understand rebellion, when we understand wickedness, the sin of the people of Nineveh is obvious. How do we know that? One, the story tells us the, wicked, the wickedness of Nineveh came up before God. Number two, Jonah knows that these people are so wicked and they've persecuted his people. He's been hurt. His people have been hurt by these people. So they're the last people that he wants to tell who God is. They're the last people that he wants to share this good news with. And so he heads the opposite direction. And we start to see not only the sin of the people of Nineveh, but we see the sin of Jonah. And we see right off the bat what we talked about last night, that it's really easy to look around us at the world around us and see the wickedness and the rebellion and the brokenness. 
But how often do we stop and look into our own lives and understand and realize that there's wickedness, rebellion inside of me? Hey, Jonah struggled with that, but I think you and I struggle with that as well. I think you and I, it's, we're, we're quick to see the sin and brokenness around us, but how quick are we to realize that it's, it's right here within me as well? In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, we talked about this last night, that there's no one righteous, not even one. Right? That word, that big, that churchy word righteous, righteousness, it just means right with God. There is no one right with God. The Ninevites, heck yeah, they were not right with God. But Jonah, right? there was a problem there too. The sin created a separation. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Romans 6.23 takes it a step further and says, the wages of my sin is death. And whenever scripture in Romans in particular talks about death, it's not just like a physical death. It's not just like you and I live like 60, 70, 80, 90 years if we're lucky and then we'll die. Like we're all going to die, like for sure. No, but this is talking about something bigger than that. It's talking about this eternal separation, that there's a gap between who God is and who I am. That my heart is fundamentally not aligned with his heart. Left to myself, on autopilot, my thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes, they go against God's heart. But God's heart is consistent. It's steadfast. You can bank on it. Any God that always has been and a God that always will be, when we start to study and understand who he is and what his heart is like, when we know that he is a God that pursues, and we know that the Bible is not just a story about what happened, it's a story about what happens, then we can go, God is a God that pursued Jonah, Nineveh, and us. He's a steadfast God. And so let's dive into Jonah chapter 1. It says this, Okay? Then the Lord, of the, the, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that they will not perish. And the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. So they asked him, okay? Get this moment. Pause right here. Look up at me. Hey, you ever been asked, like, you ever been peppered with so many questions that you don't know which one to answer? That ever happened to me before? Like, you get home late from curfew or something like that, and your parents were like, where were you with? Like, why do you smell like that? Like, what, what, do you know what time it is? Like, why, what, where were you, and who were you with? And you're like, which mom, like, which one of those do you want me to answer? Like, you just asked me, like, 17 questions. Like, get this in this story right here. Okay, Jonah was asleep, there's a great storm going on, they cast lots, and then they, they come to Jonah and they say, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? <laughs> Isn't this brilliant? Right, like, Jonah's sitting there like, ah, uh, which question do you want me to answer? And then he says this, in chapter 1, verse 9, he says, I am a Hebrew, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? In your Bible, if you have this in front of you, there's a reason when it says the Lord that that's in all caps. It's not like the, the author of your Bible or the person that typed this out. It's like their pinky didn't slip on the caps lock. Okay? When, it, when it says the Lord in Scripture, it's because that's his name. Exodus 34 in, in the story of God rescuing and pursuing his people out of Egypt, out of a land of slavery, 
in Exodus chapter 34, he, he tells his people who he is. He says this in Exodus 34. He says, my name is the Lord, the Lord. I am compassionate. I'm a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. See, when Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, I worship the Lord, this is significant. This is powerful. Okay, and don't miss this. Hey, th this is a moment, okay? If whatever you need to do to pay attention right now, do it. Elbow the person next to you. Give them a good, like, hey, wake up, be here. Like, I know it's morning. I know it's cozy in here. Like, I, I, I know it's morning chapel and we got a lot going on, but don't miss this. I promise you, you don't want to miss this. When Jonah, in the middle of a storm, on the ocean, on the sea, in the middle of a storm, when he is asked these questions, he looks at these people and he says, I am a Hebrew, I worship the Lord, and it means something. Every one of those sailors cried out to their own God, and guess what happened? Nothing. And then when Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew, I worship the Lord, instantly these people were struck with fear. Why? Because this God has a reputation. This God is a God that these people have heard stories of. In Exodus chapter 3, a guy named Moses, at 80 years old, meets this God for the very first time. Maybe you've heard the story of Moses before. There was an empire called Egypt that was the greatest empire on planet Earth at the time. And, and Egypt had slaves, and they were these slaves that were the Israelites, and the Israelites, they started becoming too many. Like there were too many of the Israelites. And so Pharaoh feared that he would be overtaken by his slaves. And so he sets a decree to kill all of the male babies that are born. And Moses gets rescued. They send him down, a, down, down the Nile River. And he ends up growing up in Pharaoh's household. And then at 40 years old, he realizes, like, I realize I grew up as an Egyptian, but I'm not really an Egyptian. And at 40 years old, he commits murder. And then he runs out into the desert, and 40 years later, at 80 years old, he stumbles upon this bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed by fire. And he hears the voice of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. And he says, come near, but be careful. Take off your sandals, because this is holy ground. That this God is set apart. He is so other than, that just to walk into his presence meant something. But friends, if we're not careful, thousands of years later, we can walk into a chapel like this and Connor and the band can step up on stage and say, hey, let's walk into the presence of God. Let's worship. And you and I can walk in and we can step into the presence of God like we've done countless times before and just go, yeah, let's worship. And we can feel kind of sleepy and we can slumber down into our chair and we can, we can hear the word of the Lord spoken and we can hear that he is a gracious and compassionate God and we can sing a song and we can kind of just go, yeah, it's God. But friends, do you want to know why we can do that? Because you struggle with the same thing that I struggle with. I can very easily convince myself that I'm not that bad and God's not that good. And if I think he's not that good, it's really easy for me to walk into a room like this and just go, yeah, for sure, God, church, Bible, camp, Christianity and stuff, for sure. It's a big part of my life. But in Exodus 3, the God that meets Moses 
puts Moses flat on his face. And then in Exodus 34, we're going to see who that God is and what he's like and what his name is. In Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to see a prophet by the name of Isaiah walk into the presence of God. And in the throne room of God, Isaiah will walk in and immediately fall flat on his face. And there's angels called seraphim. They're flying around the throne of the God of the universe, this same God that Jonah's talking about. And they have six wings. With two of them, they cover their feet. With two of them, they cover their eyes. With two of them, they're, they're, they're flying. And they're in his presence, and they're just chanting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And any time in Scripture, when something is repeated three times, it's intentional. When something is repeated three times, it's, it's as if to say, this is the holiest thing that has ever been holy, and there's nothing that will ever be more holy, and there's nothing that in the future can ever match its holiness. And that word holy, again, it simply means set apart, that he is so other than. There's nothing like him. There's nothing that you can compare him to. And this God says, who I was yesterday, I will be today, and I will continue to be tomorrow. When he met Moses, he said, my name is I am who I am. Steadfast, faithful, compassionate. You can take that to the bank. That God always has been and he always will be. And there's nothing else in the universe that can match his steadfastness. In Revelation 4, we see a throne room picture as well. And there's four beasts, one is a lion, one in the image of an ox, one is a man, and one is an eagle. And it, again, they're in his presence just chanting about his holiness and that the earth is filled with his glory. And there's 10,000 upon 10,000 angels just, just chanting worship, crying out to this God. And friends, do you know that when we come into this place and we open up his word, and Connor leads us in worship that that's the same God that we now have access to, that we can walk into his presence. And if you know what I know, that my sin and my brokenness and my thoughts, words, and actions and attitudes, they're so fundamentally opposed to who he is that I could never deserve to walk into his presence. Right? Like if we, if we could manufacture some sort of machine that would just like, it would like attach to your head or to my head, and I could just project onto this LED wall right here. I could just project all of your thoughts, all of the words that you've spoken, everything you've done, and every attitude that you've had over the last week. There wouldn't be a single one of us that would be like, ooh, pick me. I'll sign, like, I volunteer as tribute. I, no, we would all go like, oof, no thank you. Right, the, the thought life that I have, right, the, the words that I've spoken, right, the things that I've done. And we start to understand this picture that the way that my heart is bent, that my heart is fundamentally opposed to God's heart. And then we look at, start to understand and see God's heart and that God's heart is always for his purpose. But do you know what his purpose is? Since, gener since Genesis 3, his purpose has always been salvation. It's always been redemption, reconciliation, to mend, to fix, to buy back. Remember the story we told last night? Where are you? 
Right? When Adam and Eve's sin enters into the picture, God goes, hey, where are you? And it, he didn't lose them, I promise. It's a relational cry. But this is the very first move that we see that the God of the universe makes after sin enters into the picture. His move is a gospel move. And that word gospel simply means good news. So here's the beauty of scripture. Here's the beauty of Christianity. This is not just a philosophical ideology. It's not good advice. It's good news. That when we talk about the story of scripture and a God that pursues and a Jonah character that says, I am a Hebrew, I worship the Lord. Right? This isn't just like a historical fact with like present day, like because that happened, like maybe we should think about this. No, friends, this is not good advice. It's good news. This isn't a religious ideology. It's not a philosophy of life. It's based on historical fact. And we're going to get to this more tonight. We're going to understand a little bit more of this story. But when we look at this story and we understand the overarching narrative that Genesis to Revelation, it's about Jesus and that God is a God that moves towards salvation. His heart is always for his purpose and his purpose is always salvation. That this Jesus is based in historical fact and the fact that God loved you and I so much that he sends Jesus and Jesus lives and walks this earth and he lives a life that you and I couldn't live and he dies a death that we deserve. Romans 6.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of that sin is death. He dies the death that you and I deserve so that we might live the life that he deserves. Here's the reality of Christianity though. If you find the bones of Jesus, it's over. Right? Like if you, if you find the bones of what the, the Bible claims is a resurrected Jesus, we all go, hmm, well, we were wrong. I promise you this, your youth pastors, your leaders that are here in this room, like they're not here this weekend because they need more high school friends. They might be friends with you now. Like that might be like an after the fact thing of like there's their created friendship, but I promise you that's not why they're here. None of your leaders are like, you know what I need in my life? I just need more 15-year-old friends. That's weird, right? Like, that's, that's not a thing. If you find the bones of Jesus and you disprove the fact that he resurrected, I promise you your youth pastor quits tomorrow and goes make a lot more money somewhere else. It's not about that. But when we read this story and we see a Jonah that's starting to come around, remember, right, God calls him to San Francisco and he, he heads for what? Tijuana. He goes the opposite direction, and then God meets him there. And remember, God is a God that pursues, and he pursues Jonah even through a storm. Isn't that funny how God can use a storm to continue to pursue him? That Jonah needed saving in this moment, and God sends more turmoil into his life to save him. He's a God that pursues in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the turmoil. And then he, they cast him overboard, right? Like, if you know the story of Jonah, if you don't, spoiler alert, I'm sorry, I'm about to ruin it for you, okay? Like, they cast him into the ocean, a big fish swallows him. The Hebrew text says a big fish, and we, we think that was a whale, most likely, right? A big fish swallows him, and then all of Jonah chapter 2 is this conversation that Jonah has with God. And it's a moment of prayer. And prayer is simply this. It's simply spending time with the person who loves you the most. It's not these and thous. Like God doesn't speak New King James. 
It's just a conversation with God. And Jonah goes into this conversation, and he realizes, he recognizes his own sin. He recognizes the irony that he didn't want to go to the people of Nineveh because they were so sinful and so broken, and he had been hurt by them, but he misses his own sin. And in the midst of this conversation, there's this cool turning in his own walk with God, in his own relationship with God. And then he gets spit up by this whale. Remember, like, the, the can, and God dumps out the can, and, and I love the moment in the video where he just kind of, like, thump, he just, like, drops the gnome. And then he comes back, and we're going to see Jonah go into Nineveh and proclaim not good advice, but good news. And then we're going to watch Jonah wrestle with God. That God is a God that pursues. He pursues Nineveh. He pursues Jonah. And in the midst of this conversation in chapter 2, I just want to close with this verse. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 8. It says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Friends, my hope and my prayer is at this point in the weekend, you've grasped the concept that last night we talked about our own heart, that it is fundamentally opposed to God's heart, that my life is filled with thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes that constantly go against his design. But then we start to look and understand God's heart, and we realize that that the Bible is not just a story about what happened, it's a story about what? happens and we can bank on the steadfast character of God that his heart is always for his purpose and his purpose is always what salvation from Genesis chapter 3 on the rest of the story is about God pursuing you and I pursuing his people and so we start to see this gap that exists between the two and I love this moment this aha moment for Jonah where he goes those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for us friends you and I our hearts are idol factories and maybe when you think about an idol you think about like a statue or like a wooden figurine and I, I my assumption is like, if you and I became friends over the course of the weekend and you were like, hey, like, come over to my house. Like, my assumption is I wouldn't walk into your house and there'd be, like, a big, like, wooden figurine with, like, incense burning around it. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's the idol that my family worships. Anyways, come this way. I'd be, we'd be like, okay, like, that's kind of weird, right? Like, that, my assumption is not that you have these, like, physical idols that you worship. But the Bible is pretty clear that you and I as human beings... Worship is not something we do, it's something we are. We are worshipers. The question is not if we will worship, it's who or what we will worship. It'll be success, it'll be fame, it'll be fortune, it'll be popularity. It'll be finding that one, finding Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. It'll be pursuing the American dream. It, it, whatever it is, like you and I, like we, we constantly find things to latch onto, to give our time, our talent, our treasure toward. And I love that Jonah has this aha moment in the belly of a whale, right? You realize how gnarly that is? Like if you've grown up around the church, like you hear about Jonah getting swallowed by a whale and you're like, mm, yes, Jonah and the whale. Have you, when was the last time you paused and went like, a whale swallowed Jonah 
and homie was like sitting in stomach acid for three days going like, hey, God, just having my quiet time in here, right? Like, like that's bizarre that this happened. But if we're not careful, like we start hearing the stories of the Bible and we just go like, mm, yeah, Jonah and the whale, for sure. Great story. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like, when was the last time you paused and went like, whoa, God met Jonah in a whale. And Jonah had this aha moment of going like, God, my heart is an idol factory. And whenever I cling to worthless idols, I miss out on your love. See, the God of the universe has designed life in such a way and given us his word to go, look, Cone, 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 landmine. The wages of sin is death. Trust me, you don't want to go there. You don't want to walk down that path. You don't want to do life the way that you want to do it, however you want to do it, whenever you want to do it. And friends, there's going to be so many moments in life that don't seem fair to us, or that seem like, God, where are you? And following Jesus was never promised to be easy, but I promise you it's worth it because he defines life and life abundant, and he's the only God that fulfills, and he's the only God that satisfies, and he is love. He wants to draw you and I near to him. Don't miss out on his love because we're clinging to the worthless idols in our own life. God's heart is always for his purpose and his purpose is always for salvation. Pray with me. God, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to just press the pause button on life for a little bit and come out to a place like Hume and be in the mountains and in community and God spend multiple times a day worshiping through music. What a gift. And spending multiple times a day cracking open your word just to understand who you are and your character. God, and I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to us that we may know more of your character and know more of your heart because I'm confident the more that we get to know you, the more we will understand what life is all about. Thank you that you loved us first. We love you in response. In your name we pray, amen.